Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Winter rose care season is here for many of us. And besides pruning, weed killing may be on your list of things to do in the rose bed. But before you reach for that spray bottle of weed killer, listen to what Master Rosarian Charlotte Owendike has to say. Plus, she has alternatives for thwarting weeds among your rose bushes. It's also the time of year for transplanting many perennials and shrubs. Debbie Flower, our favorite retired college horticulture professor, goes through the hows and the whys to transplant successfully. And perhaps to your surprise, she's a big fan of using strictly native soil when it comes to transplanting perennials and shrubs. And it has to do with watering. She'll explain. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Here on the Garden Basics Podcast, we like to answer your questions. You know how to get your questions in. We have a phone number that you can call, and you can even text uh, with pictures as well. The number, 916-292-8964, 916-292-8964, or better yet, go to speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics and yell at your computer the question. It's great audio quality. Speakpipe.com slash garden basics. Email, sure, send it to Fred at farmerfred.com. You could leave questions at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page or at the Farmer Fred Hoffman pages on Instagram or Twitter. We get a question via email from Debbie who writes in, I have a rose bed that's become overgrown with grass in between the rose bushes. What can I put down that will kill the grass but not the roses? Thank you for any input you might have. Let's bring in a rose expert. It's Charlotte Owendike, Master Rosarian with the Sierra Foothills Rose Society. And yes, if uh, people inherit an overgrown uh, patch of rose bushes, there may be stuff growing beneath them. Yeah. Roses don't like a lot of competition because they're hungry and they're big feeders. And so if you have a, a web of grass around your roses, you can't put weed killer down. You can't put round, Roundup because they have a very thin bark and they'll get absorbed and they will actually get stunted. We we oftentimes get called out and say, what's wrong with my roses? It's roundup damage. They get crinkly. They get kind of contort. And sometimes someone will have sprayed 15, 20 feet away and the spray will mm -hmm. drift and we'll still so roundup damage. So we keep that roundup, keep most the grass killers away from your roses. There's two things you can do. You can try to smother those weeds, put newspaper down or cardboard down and then put mulch on top. And if you have any weeds coming up there, pull, pull those out as best you can and just be consistent. Be tough. The more consistent you are, weed seeds and rhizomes and everything that the little bulblets that 
come up, you got to outlast them. <laughs> and most of the rosarians around here, we're pretty tough on them. We we walk around and that's one of the things that we do is we make sure we don't get any grass seeds or any oxalis or other noxious weeds around our roses. We actually, a lot of us just go and do hand pruning. I had a noxious weed in my vegetable patch. I have a raised vegetable. I, I did the smother routine and that really worked and I will continue to do it again or because all I do is plant my tomatoes in there. And then when it any popped up, I would pull out those weeds. So that's all I can recommend on that. Except if you have too many weeds, you don't think that smother is going to work for you. Best thing to do, if you really want those roses, you can try uh, taking cuttings in there and putting in a, in a little bit of pot with some good potting soil and keep it kind of on the moist, no full sun in the shade and see if it'll start for you. Or I'll shovel prune those roses. In other words, get rid of those roses or take them out. You can get rid of the roses or sho- shovel them out. If they're older roses, you'll find they've got some pretty good roots in there. And get rid of all the grass around it, hose it off, get rid of everything, put them in a pot and keep them growing and then go to town and work on eliminating all the grass in that area. I know someone who had that situation. They had a lot of grass, Bermuda grass. He basically pulled all the roses out. He then did the roundup. He did the smothering and then he put raised beds on top of that. He says, I just don't, I, you know, I want to make sure. And he waited over a year. He just kept track of it. Every time he saw something come up, he would attack it. So he's pretty sure he's that area where his raised bed is, is going to be fine. Yeah. People don't realize that roses are rather thin skinned creatures. And even though you might be uh, wanting to spray Roundup, the active ingredient in Roundup is glyphosate. They may be wanting to spray that glyphosate when the rose is dormant, thinking, well, there's no leaves on the plant. How can it be possibly be absorbed? It can be absorbed through the skin of a dormant rose and you will not see the damage until it starts putting out new leaves and flowers. I had one situation where I just painted a little bit of Roundup on a, a noxious weed underneath one of my miniatures because it was really close and I couldn't quite get it. It evaporated and I could see Roundup Roundup damage. Wow. I, that was, yeah. I was thinking, well, maybe, you know, applying it like that, painting it or with a sponge or something like that. But you're right. The vapors could get easily through the skin of right. the canes and, on the and rose. And that was a miniature rose, so it was really close by, but I could see it. So I ended up, I cut out a few canes in that area. The rest of the plant wasn't really damaged, so I saw it right away. So it didn't. But yeah, that can happen. Right. And that's why you sometimes people say, well, nobody sprayed any Roundup, but it could have been the neighbor. <laughs> You've got a good windy day and it it can impact on your yard. Well, that brings up a whole other set of issues about uh, spraying glyphosate and the perfect weather conditions for doing it. It's when the mm-hmm. wind isn't blowing and for it to be effective, the temperature has to be above 55, but below 85 in order yep. for it to be the most effective. And what a lot of people don't realize is they think, oh, a foggy day, though there's no wind, I will do it when it's overcast, there's a lot of moisture in the air. The problem is 
that glyphosate can stay suspended in the air because of all that moisture and travel even further on the slightest of breezes. So, yeah, when every time I hear somebody say, oh, I, nobody sprayed any Roundup around here, I have to think, well, maybe not on them, but around We've them. all heard that one, then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, then. Yes, I, I like the idea of smothering it. That's always a good idea. Put down some newspaper or cardboard, some mulch. Okay, so you have to go in there once and, and clean it out. Well, if you do that yeah, once. Yeah, you just got to be persistent. I have, yeah. uh, In fact, I helped a friend of ours, and she just got overwhelmed by the Bermuda grass and a new bed so we just tackled it we had a great time we <laughs> sat there us gals sat there you get a yak and we had a good time all right Spent an hour two hours and then had had a little uh, adult libation afterwards and she's a great baker <laughs> and that that was a fun time a you weed know, you party do something like that yes we had a weeding party <laughs> There you go. That's how you control weeds under roses. Charlotte yeah, Owen. We have a te- go ahead. We're, we have a tendency to be old school when you have roses because of the problem with the, you know, the drift and the roundup. Charlotte Owen Dyke. Thanks for helping us control those grassy weeds underneath our roses. You're welcome. Smart Pots. It's the original award-winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart Pots, by the way, are BPA-free with no risk of chemicals leaching into your soil, your herbs, vegetables, and other edibles. That's why organic growers prefer Smart Pots, and they last for years. Some gardeners have been using the same Smart Pots for over a decade. SmartPot's breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. Because the fabric breathes, SmartPots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for really hot and really cold climates. And unlike a plastic pot, the fabric won't crack or break from frost or when dropped. For more information, visit smartpots.com Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy SmartPots at Amazon. Visit smartpots.com Fred. Debbie Flower is here, our favorite retired college horticultural professor. We have a quick tip for you about transplanting shrubs and perennials. I like to call this part of the show, life is too short to put up with a problem plant. Uh, Sometimes this time of year, you go out and you stare at a plant and your neighbors walk by wondering, what what are you staring at? (laughs) I'm staring at my garden. Thank you. I'm staring at this plant. Trying to remember if it did anything this year. Did it bloom? Did it not bloom? Is it over three years old? If it hasn't done anything in three years, life is too short to put up with a problem plant. So either move it to an area that's more hospitable to good growth, or maybe what I like to do is to uh, pot them up and and give them away. (laughs) (laughs) Here, you try. (laughs) Yeah. Gee, thanks. I think I have some of those that you gave me in my yard. Hmm. I guess I can't offer you the... (laughs) The uh, uh, dinner plate uh, hibiscus that I have potted up that I took out. Yeah, I wouldn't take it. It takes too much moisture. Well, that and I took them out because they're tropical plants. They're tropical looking plants. I don't have a tropical garden. It just didn't fit. Or spot in your garden, right? Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there's a lot of reasons under the definition problem plant. Right. And everybody's reasons are going to be different. Right. A few basic rules for moving or transplanting shrubs, perennials. Here in California, USDA Zone 9, you can get away with it now 
in the wintertime. Yes, you can. Because, uh, you know, the ground isn't frozen. We have fairly warm temperatures. Well. Nights are getting down into the 30s. Yeah. Where we live. And soil temperatures are in the mid 40s. Right. And you can get root growth when soil temperatures are 45 degrees. The plants can Mm. be active. It's not fast active, but it's active. I think basically when it comes to transplanting shrubs or perennials, uh, the general rule would be don't do it in the extreme seasons wherever you live. Right. To avoid too much heat or too much cold. Yes. And too much rain. Yes. Yes. You need to wait two to three days after a rainstorm. You want two to three dry days after a rainstorm to allow the soil to do whatever drainage it's going to do. Uh, Walking on, digging in very wet soil will damage soil structure, and that makes the soil less uh, hospitable for roots. So you don't want to do that. You want to make sure that you've got two to three days, dry days, after a rainstorm to before you start digging in the soil. Type of soil you have will potentially make a difference. If you have clay, you might even want to wait longer than that. But clay will take a really, really long time to drain. Plants in the fall and winter have sent a lot of storage food to their roots so that they can live through the winter without uh, having to do a lot of photosynthesis. So even moving dormant plants can be done right now. You want to dig a nice circle around the plant, out from the plant with as much of a root ball as you can carry, as you can handle. Dig down, get under it, and then pop that puppy out of the out of the soil, move it to the new spot. Hopefully you've already dug a hole there for that new plant. Be sure to uh, rough up the sides of the hole that you dig to put the new plant in. That gives the plant a place for the roots to sort of grab onto and, and move into the field soil. If you have a slick side inside to the hole that you dug where you're putting the plant, it can act like a pot. So then rough up the sides, put the plant in at field level or slightly above because you are using the same kind of soil. Make sure you fill in any gaps there are between the root ball you moved and the the hole you dug and mulch up to the edge of the hole or even a little bit beyond, but not not touching the uh, stem or trunk of whatever plant you just moved. You brought up a very interesting question there, and that is, what kind of soil should I be filling in with? If you dig out a plant, you're going to have a hole. And chances are you've got a big ball of soil going along with that plant. And that's not that big a problem to transplant that someplace else in your garden if that area of the garden is has the same conditions. Mm-hmm. But you, then you got a hole back where you well, dug Well, you that dug out. a hole you dug to a plant hole. it. And yeah. so you want to take the soil from the hole you dug and move that back to, the, to uh, the, where you took the plant out. What about all the soil that's around that plant? Wouldn't it be better to keep that intact and put that in a new spot? Or should you wash off that soil from the plant and plant it in a new spot, if that's what you're going to do? Personally, I would leave the soil attached to the roots of the plant I am moving. Okay. Put it in the hole I dug. Okay. Use whatever soil I took out of that hole to settle that plant in so it's stable and then take the rest of it and move it back to the hole I where I took the plant out and fill the hole with the soil from the other hole. Okay. Double digging, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so, okay, so you're replacing uh, the d- soil you took out from hole A with the soil you took out from hole B. Yes. 
All right. Which should be similar. It may not. There, there are landscapes where that will not be similar, but it is closer to the texture of the soil you have in the ground than, say, something you bought in a bag. Yeah, I think that's what most people do, though, is they will be using that potting soil that they bought at the nursery as, if you will, hamburger helper to, to fill in uh, the gaps. What are, what are the no, problems with that? You want to, the, that creates a change, a, a drastic change in texture, and that will impede water movement uh, into the root ball and out of the root ball. And so you're basically containerizing the plant. If you surround it with, some people call it the good soil or the bagged stuff, something yeah. you brought in, it's very different than what you have in the ground, and you create, you basically pot the plant. And that li will limit its ability to do anything to grow, to absorb moisture and nutrients. It's the wrong thing to do. Unlike most Washington politicians, I'm willing to compromise. So how about <laughs> taking that commercial potting soil that you bought and mixing it 50-50 with the existing soil in order to fill in the gaps? I still wouldn't do it, no. Really? Yeah. If that is done sometimes to create an entire bed, you're creating mm -hmm. a new bed for your annuals or your uh, iris garden or something, some a theme, a tropical se section, and you want to make it easier to plant in, you want your plants to take off really well, or, or you're doing lawn, uh, then some amendment that comes in a bag, some sort of container soil, some sort, it's always organic matter, is mixed in with the top of the entire bed, the topsoil of the entire bed. At a 50-50 at most, it should really only be 20% of the new stuff. Okay, see, you are willing to compromise. Okay. <laughs> I'll go 20%. All right. As long as you can, you know, have enough soil to fill in the gaps. Because no, I don't think filling you're... in the gaps for transplanting, I would only use field soil. The only time I would amend is if I'm doing an entire bed because the roots need to grow far and wide on that plant. Roots grow two and a half to three times the height of the plant away from the trunk. Right. So it makes a huge uh, root system. Anything you put in its way that changes the texture of the soil will stop that and you'll start getting circling girdling roots and the plant will fall over, if it's a tall one, in the wind. So basically when the roots hit that commercial potting mix, they go, oh, hey, this is really nice. I'm staying here. They go, this is different. And I'm st so I'm staying where I know what's going on. Oh, okay. So it even stops before it hits that soil or just as it hits that right, soil. Because there's a change in moisture. Uh, the, the organic matter uh, can either dry out faster or it can stay too moist. There's a lot of variables in there. But it, it's a change, a drastic change in texture. And so the water movement stops at a drastic change in texture and the roots won't go there. You're destroying the entire bag soil industry here. Well, that's kind of what I was going to say is <laughs> yes. it's an industry and the, the myth that you need to amend and amend means till into mm -hmm. your field soil uh, comes from them. Uh, I believe I don't have proof using it on the surface. If I had a whole bunch, somebody dumped a whole bunch of bag goods on my driveway for some strange reason, I'd open them up and lay them on the surface. Use it as a mulch. Then you have two different layers of soil. Right. And then you have a watering issue. That the, the water would stop after it got through the really porous stuff. That's right. It does. It's, it goes through the porous stuff. It stops at the field soil and mm -hmm. it penetrates the field soil at the rate the field soil will accept it. All my plants have their roots in the field soil. Yeah. And so they get the water at the same rate. But the mulch on top will break down over time if it's organic and release nutrients to the plants. All right. Riddle me this then. 
I'm building a raised bed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I need a lot of soil mm-hmm. to fill that raised bed. How much of the new stuff should I incorporate with the soil layer at the bottom of the raised bed, at the foundation there? Well, And how deep? Yeah. The first is how deep can you go? What kind of tool are you going to use? Are you, you know, you can't go two feet deep. You can't go which would be a a good depth for a root system. You can go, if you're using a tiller, you're going to go maybe three, four inches deep. Mm -hmm. So then I would put two inches of the new stuff on top and I would till it in uh, well. So I had a a mixture, a a layer, a transition layer, if you will, of the uh, bagged goods that are going to be in the raised bed and the field soil. And that that does help with the drainage. I guess if, if you're really industrious, you could maybe dig out from the bottom of the raised bed, dig out another six inches or so of soil and mix that. In a wheelbarrow, 50-50 with, yes, you Oh, now we're 50-50, okay. Well, for a transition zone, you want to be 50-50. Okay, all right. And because that's important to get uh, the water to percolate deeper into the soil because if the water is running out of your raised bed just at the bottom of your mm-hmm. of your border that means that you've got some penetration issues going on and the roots are going to stop there right and so you you've containerized your plants in your raised bed and the roots aren't going any deeper and that you can grow stuff that way that's doable it's just more stressful because it's a big container but it heats up quickly it cools down quickly it gets uh, saturated with water quickly it dries out more quickly if you can have a open bottom to your raised bed so that the roots can go deeper the water can go deeper it's easier to take care of those plants in that raised bed this is going to be a tough one to do i'll tell you (laughs) this is one of the hardest things for people to understand yeah i have a series of slides that i would show in teaching uh slides yes slides Slides. which i digitized and so then i made it a powerpoint but i initially got them as slides but that it's physics of soil and water and that has not changed over time and it was done in a laboratory at a college and uh they at a university and they put sand over clay clay over sand gravel in the middle uh that went side to side gravel in the middle that was just as if you dug a hole and only put gravel in the bottom. Water avoids that gravel. It goes totally around it. And so your plant will have no water underneath it. Um, Water stops at the gravel. Water stops at the sand-clay interface, regardless of whether the sand is on top or the clay is on top. Loam was in there too. Water stops until you've saturated the upper level. Then the next drop pushes water through. The water does move, But all the pores in that upper level are full of water and not oxygen, and roots need oxygen to be healthy. All right. Getting back, though, to transplanting trees and shrubs. You remember? That's what we were talking about here. Uh, We talked about, yeah, you want three or four dry days in order to ease the process. And the other other thing we should uh, point out, too, is that you don't want to be walking on wet soil. Right. It compacts. Yes. In fact, you don't want soil naked to a rainstorm. Right. Yeah. Because water is powerful enough that it will cause the soil to compact. It will break down soil structure and cause it to compact. So mulch of some type, type is really desirable during a rainstorm. And don't, yes, don't walk on it. And that's why I, I put oak leaves, shredded oak leaves on my raised beds for the winter if I'm not planting in them. And even if I'm planting in them, I will still put oak leaves over around the plants mm-hmm. in order to calm down the, the rain, if you will. Right. When that water droplet comes down, and if you Google water droplet, you can see it's very powerful and it, it will hit the leaf then. And then it will roll off the leaf into the bed. Mm-hmm. And so the water will get to the bed in a gentle way. 
and the leaf has stopped the power of the water from compacting the soil and destroying the soil structure. The only way they're removing bag soil is out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> You're using that in your raised beds? Uh, yeah, I do. And I use worm castings and uh, compost mm -hmm. for, and of course, for containerized plants. Mm -hmm. Yes, containerized plants. That's the reason bag soil should exist. And so the bag soil industry should be happy because containerized plants are becoming more and more uh, useful to people and more and more popular. Thank you for tossing them a bone. <laughs> right. Debbie Flower, she's the one. <laughs> Thanks for helping us transplant shrubs and perennials with an interesting scenic bypass. Right. I hope it was understandable. <laughs> if you haven't shopped at your favorite independently owned nursery lately, you know something you're missing out. Now arriving at California, Arizona, and Texas nurseries are Dave Wilson Nursery's excellent lineup of farmer's market favorites of great-tasting, healthy fruit and nut varieties. They're already potted up and ready to be planted. We're talking about almonds, blackberries, blueberries, boysenberries, figs, grapes, hops, kiwi, mulberries, olives, pomegranates, and a lot more. For you gardeners in the Pacific Northwest, Mountain, and Southern states, look for Dave Wilson's Farmer's Market favorites in January and February. You want more? Well, by the second week in January, you're going to find your favorite Dave Wilson bare root deciduous fruit trees in stock, including my favorite, the Plum Apricot Cross, the Pluot. Wholesale grower Dave Wilson Nursery has probably the best lineup of great-tasting fruit and nut varieties of any grower in the United States. Find out more at their website, DaveWilson.com. And while you're there, check out all the videos they have on how to plant and grow all their delicious varieties of fruit and nut trees. Plus, at DaveWilson.com, you're going to find the nursery nearest you that carries Dave Wilson's plants. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. Because there are so many demands on your time these days, well, I like to keep the Garden Basics podcast to under 30 minutes. But still, there's a lot more to tackle on all the garden subjects we bring up on the podcast. So for that and a lot more, we're starting up the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. It'll be on Substack. It'll go into more details about what you just heard on the latest podcast, so, yes, it will be a good supplement for the Garden Basics podcast, but there will be a lot more garden-related material and, uh, you know, probably pictures of my dogs and cats as well. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. It's on Substack. And best of all, it's free. There's a link in today's show notes. Or just go to Substack.com and do a search for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. That's Substack.com. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Newsletter. Did I tell you it's free? It's free. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.